week's episode is brought to you by Support the Mountain's Herbal Parasite Cleanse. This formula targets the small and large intestinal tracts and larvae, the most broad-spectrum formula available today. 100% organic, formulated by Dr. Mikio Sanki, author of the Esoteric Acupuncture Series. For 10% off your first bottle, visit shopyogahub.com and use the coupon code CLEANSE at checkout. Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzama, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman. And greetings to you, Christina. How are you? I'm super fantastic. It's going to be a fun day today. It's going to be an awesome day today. Yeah, it's going to I be different. I feel it now. Yeah, I I'm can bouncing. tell it. You're in your element. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're in your element. <laughs> oh, well, we'll see about that. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your medical guide today, along with Christina, as we travel through yet another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy in search of optimal health. And today, we're going to be talking with Gary Austin, who is the founder of The Groundlings. He's a singer, he's a songwriter, he's a teacher, he's a producer, and an author. Uh, and we're going to title this show Improvisational Healing, because many times, as you know, all of you that listen to our show and watch our show, we usually talk to the healers, but every once in a while we go on the other side for people that have done magical healings, and Gary is one of those people. So it's going to be a very interesting show today, and if anybody wants to call in, how do they get in touch with us, Christina? Well, at any time during this show, whether you're watching it uh, recently or in the next year or so, you can feel free to still ask your question or make your comment. And you do so simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box and clicking submit. And we will definitely get back to you. Or you can call us at 818-LET'S-TALK, 818 818- Let's talk and be sure to leave us your contact information and we will definitely post your messages to our special guests or to Dr. Woolman and we will get back to you as well. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, you're welcome. So I just want to make a quote here. I want to state a quote and this will introduce us to Gary. It says, in acting, whether scripted or improvised, there are moments where split-second choices make all the difference in performance. Learning to be comfortable in these choices is the point of improvisation. And I'm going to try and intertwine that today, we all are, into the determination of how people uh, go through their careers and how people de deal with illness and how they move forward. So Gary Austin, as I said before, he was the... He was one of the members of the famous San Francisco group, the committee, and he founded, he was the producer and original director of The Groundlings. We'll talk about that a little bit. He has uh, his own workshops where he's the artistic director and the director. He's taught many people how to entertain all of us as we've gone through our lives, and we'll, we'll hear about some of these people. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my longtime friend. Gary Austin. Welcome, Gary. Well, uh, I started saying welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Gary. Thank you so much for Hi. being here with Thank us. Thank you, Christine. <laughs> 
So what I want to do, Gary, as the medical guide, I like to give our audience a path that we're going to take. So we're going to do some interesting and different things a little bit today, take advantage of your improvisational mastery. But I want to, as I said in the introduction, I want to not speak specifically about your career and not speak specifically about your illnesses, but I want to intertwine them through a process. Gary, you're all right with that? Yes, whatever you say. <laughs> Improvisation is about agreement. I'm agreeing with everything you say. Okay, uh, excellent. So let's start. Let's well, let's just talk about your career for a few minutes. Okay. When did you decide you wanted to go into the uh, theater, into entertainment, in the, in that area, rather than to be a doctor or an engineer or a teacher? When I was a, a small child, I grew up in the Nazarene Church in Texas, uh, and I studied evangelists. I didn't know I was studying them, but I saw them and heard them as a child. And those are my first acting lessons, and I wanted to be one of them. I wanted to be in a huge tent meeting with <laughs> thousands of people preaching the gospel. <laughs> so that was it and then and then in school i was always in plays i majored in theater at san francisco state university and uh i was a classical actor uh long before i even knew what improvisation meant or was i understood what the word meant but i didn't know anything about improvisational theater and i fell into it quite by accident can you give us one, one moment of revelation imagine we're in the tent right now <laughs> Uh, uh, emotion. Uh, These preachers, very unlike television evangelists that you see today, these preachers were authentic, most of them, and they they were emotional. Tears would be streaming down their face when they preached, and all of us in the congregation would be crying along with them. And then on Wednesday nights was testimony night when we would get up and testify. I never did because I was a kid, but the adults would get up and testify about what Jesus had done for them that week. And usually those testimonies were sobbing testimonies. Sometimes you couldn't understand the person because the person was crying so hard. It was all about emotion. And then when the altar call was given and people came down to give their their hearts to Jesus, there was shouting and crying. And uh, it was it was a cleansing thing. The emotional thing was a cleansing thing, regardless of the message. I like that. Uh, I I always imagine being in some of those tents. I've been in a few of those and I've listened to the, the hellfire and brimstone. Right. Yes. Yeah, it, it's it is emotional, and it, it really it's inspiring. No matter what you get, you get into it. Yes, and so, I did, and that's that's when I knew I wanted to be in front of audiences. I wanted to be one of those guys. Excellent, but you didn't go into that path. You went into the path of acting. So, where along the way in acting did you see improvisational theater? Who influenced you, and how did that happen? I didn't see it. Uh, The committee in San Francisco was known to me. I knew about the committee because 
it was happening while I was at San Francisco State. Studying I, drama? Huh? Studying drama? Well, I never, I don't call it drama. I call it theater because theater. Uh, there's no such thing to me as drama or comedy. To, to me, it's, uh, it's theater. Just like in real life, sometimes people are funny and sometimes situations are funny and other times they're tragic or sad. So we never divided it. And I came to Hollywood eventually after the committee and my first agent interview, the agent said to me, uh, are, are you comedy or drama? I said, excuse me, what do you mean? <laughs> and then she told me what she meant. Uh, and I said, I'm an actor. I'm, I'm an actor. And so uh, the, the, to answer your question, the uh, revelation came about improvisational theater when I, w I was a social worker in South Central Los Angeles for four years and doing theater at night. This is before the committee. I never knew that. Oh, oh, yeah. And um, I'm going to clear my throat. Watch me. <clears throat> Did I you do know, that well? You know, I have to say, uh, usually people have to rehearse something like that. But, <laughs> I, but I, I can clearly see your improvisational skills well, there. Did you read my subtext when I cleared my throat? Uh, that probably, that, Christina that, was much more uh, in tune to that. <laughs> uh, uh, I was, for some reason, driving up Sunset Boulevard uh, dur during one of the days when I was a social worker, and I saw a marquee on a theater on, on Sunset that said, opening tonight, the committee. Well, I had never seen it in San Francisco, and I knew that my good friend Christopher Ross uh, I'm sorry to say the late Christopher Ross, he uh, died when he was 26. Um, but he was on the marquee. Rob Reiner was on the marquee. Uh, I went inside and they were rigging lights and tonight was the opening. And I said, where's Chris? Where's Chris Ross? And they said, he's at a certain restaurant. I went to the restaurant and I said, Chris, and I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. I, uh, well, he was a, a classmate of mine at San Francisco State. And um, he got he gave me a comp, and I sat in the front row, uh, a couple seats away from Carl Reiner, and I watched improvisation for the first time in my life. Because mm. even when we improvised at San Francisco State, it was it wasn't improvisational theater. It was it what it wasn't what I consider improvisation. Uh, it was just exercises uh, that weren't good improvisational theater. I went backstage after the show and I knocked on the dressing room door and a man named John Brent, who I'm sorry to say is no longer with us, mm. came to the door and I didn't know him. And I said, is there a workshop? And he said, yes, come every Saturday afternoon at one o'clock. It's $5 for the day. It's a four hour workshop, always run by a member of the committee. I went to those workshops. Ellen Burstyn was a student before she was known. David Lander, you know, Squiggy on Laverne and Shirley, before he was known, and many others. There were approximately 50 people in every workshop. Somehow, the directors managed to get us all on stage uh, for a real workout. I fell in love with that form of theater. In fact, I fell in love with it that night when I saw the show. 
And I, after one year, or, well, during that year, Del Close, who's one of the, who really is considered the guru of improvisational theater. He directed Nicholson May. He was one of the founders of Second City. Uh, he was my teacher, and he selected me to be one of 12 actors who would perform on the committee dark night every Monday night. And so I began to perform in those shows. Eventually, I became light man, stage manager uh, for the, the committee. And from my vantage point off stage left, I could see everything the actors did. And I could also see the front few rows of the audience. I learned, and then I, I did that for a year. I learned maybe more sitting there on that stool mm. than I've ever learned in any one year in my life. And the thing that I learned the most uh, was that even though the actors who were doing scenes that were rehearsed scenes that sprung from improvisation, nobody ever wrote a word on paper, but they would, we, they would repeat the improvisation over and over until it becomes set. And I saw them do these scenes every night for a year. And the, the, the revelation was they were always different in their performance without changing words or behavior or blocking or anything else. It was always different. And it was because they were improvisers trained that way so that when they did memorize text, it was improvisational. Give me a definition of that, Gary. Improvisation. You said you alluded to the fact that improvisation is its own special thing. Right. Give me a quick definition of that in your mind. Uh, improvisation to me happens whether we're doing memorized text or, or, or written text that we've memorized. And the great actors, the ones who we all love the most, are always improvising when they do memorized text. They don't know it necessarily, but they are. And everything I studied about the great actors uh, of, the, of the 40s and 50s, and uh, they always talked about, when they were interviewed, they always talked about how it was different for them every night. For instance, on Broadway, the Lunts. Every night. For a year or two years, they would do the same play, eight shows a week. And every night, they gave a different performance without changing words, behavior, blocking, or stage business. I dug that. That was cool. And that's what I teach. And that's what I learned how to do. All right. We've talked about you as a, an artist, a director, a teacher, and you've even mentioned singer, songwriter workshops, everything. Suddenly something happened in your life. You, about 20 years ago, you were diagnosed with a problem with your heart. Yes. Mitral valve prolapse. Yes. What did that mean to you? It meant a lot of doctor visits to my cardiologist. Uh, and he said, eventually we'll have to have an, in I think he used the word intervention, but eventually we have to do something about it. Uh, after about, oh God, I don't know. Uh, fifth, maybe 18 years of him watching me very carefully, he decided it was time for an intervention. And uh, so Dr. Trento, whose name, first name is escaping me right now, at Cedar sinai 
the heart surgeon, uh, fixed my mitral valve because the mitral valve, as you know, uh, lets in blood from the lungs into the heart and it wasn't working properly and there was a lot of leakage and I had AFib. So in... AFib, by the way, is an irregular heartbeat, atrial fibrillation, right? Yes. I'm asking you if that's right. Of course. <laughs> yeah, okay. Thanks for clarifying. <clears throat> uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> so so uh, uh, in July of 2012, I had open heart surgery uh, by Dr. Trento, and the leakage was fixed. And the AFib was fixed. And then just recently, there started to be a little bit of leakage again, and some, and the AFib came back. We did a cardioversion to correct the AFib, so that's okay now. Cardioversion and, is a, a way of applying electricity to the body uh, to, it actually stops the heart from beating and allows it to reboot. I'm, I'm glad you're telling me now that it's stopped it, that it stopped it beating, because I'm glad they didn't tell me that before the right. cardioversion. Right. <laughs> what was but, it like having open heart surgery, preparing for that? Well, first of all, when I say open heart, I may be incorrect uh, because my chest was not opened. Dr. Trento used the robot mm -hmm. to go in to, to, to my, through my ribs to fix it inside the heart. I think that's why I call it open heart. Because the mitral valve is inside the heart. Correct. Uh, so it was very successful. And uh, we don't know right now. He, he and my cardiologist, uh, Dr. Izar Karuzi, are watching me very carefully to see if another intervention has to happen. But so far, everything is okay, even with the leakage. How did you use your career and the things that you do, improvisational theater, drama, music, to prepare yourself for uh, this issue, knowing that you were going to have a surgery and then preparing for the surgery itself and then healing from it? Did it stop you from any work? I'm amazed, n n well, for a per short periods of time, I'm amazed that I felt no stage fright before any before that operation or any other procedures I had. For instance, uh, I also have multiple myeloma. Which, which we're going to talk about oh, in a moment. I'll bring that up later. But anyway, before any of these events, I never had stage fright. I was joking when they were putting me out. Uh, and, and then sometimes there were uh, some pretty uh, depressing, not depressing, uh, 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 recoveries that were really difficult, let me put it that way, uh, while I was still in the hospital after some of these procedures. and um, But beforehand, I was fine. And I think that has a lot to do with when a person, well, I'll use me, uh, when I improvise, I have nothing in my head, nothing in my mind. I don't know anything. I'm confused, I'm disoriented, and that's what I want to be. All hmm. of those things. And so I took that into the operating room with me. Uh, hey, how you doing, doctor? Uh, you're really dressed nicely today. Dr. <laughs> Trento comes in with a sport coat and a tie, and he's a dashing, handsome Italian guy from Italy. 
And he, <laughs> he, he, he is not acting like a guy who's going to do a surgery. He's acting like a guy who's about to do a show. And it, and I was all into that. Yay, let's do the show. <laughs> I like that. And, and how about healing? Did you, did you have to stop your career or did you push forward and use that as a way of, say, of coping mechanisms and support, things like that, to give yourself meaning for, rather than focusing on the disease itself? After the recovery, I, uh, well, actually during the recovery, after I got home from the hospital, uh, I continued to work uh, as much as I could work uh, under those circumstances. And uh, I never stopped teaching except for the brief moments I had to, like in the hospital. I'm going to go off on your tangent to another <laughs> tangent and yes. take you to the, to the next place. Anybody would think, you know, having heart disease, having a valve, having surgery, yes. having all the complications of that, that would be enough right. for a career. But about 15 years ago, you were diagnosed with multiple myeloma, yes. which, is a, which is a cancer in the bone marrow. Yes. And there's many parts to that. And what I would like to do now, uh, uh, by way of introducing the multiple myeloma, is I would like to have a little skit right now, improvisational theater. I would like to play the most difficult role as the doctor. I'll be Dr. <laughs> Hippocrates. Okay. And... Christina, I would like you to be the patient, and we'll call you Susan Nami, okay? <laughs> uh, we'll, call, we'll call you Sue for short. Can I call and, you Doc Hip? Uh, Doc Hip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And, and Gary, I would like you to be the cancer. Okay. I would like you to be the multiple myeloma. So I'm going to be uh, Dr. Hip. And I'm going to walk into the room where okay. Christina is in, in the hospital bed. Yes. Already? Uh, actually, I'm in the hospital already? Yeah. Well, you came in for a biopsy because we're trying to find out what's going on with you. You've had a number of symptoms. And I'm going to walk in the door and I'm going to say, hello, Miss Nami. Uh, may I call you Sue? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Doc. <laughs> um. Yeah, you you can call me Sue. Can can you tell me what's going on with me, please? Yes. Well, I have some news for you. You know, you're here in the hospital. You've been having these symptoms, and we are very concerned about this. And that's why we do that. Did that bone marrow biopsy and these other tests, and we just got the results back. And I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I, I'm not going to say good news and bad news. It's just news, and then we're going to have a discussion about this. We found out what's going on. You're not crazy. All of these things that are happening to you are for a reason. You have what we call multiple myeloma. And this is a cancer that grows in your bone marrow and it affects the part of the marrow where it produces red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. All of the things we need to protect against infection, to bring oxygen to the blood, and to uh, clot so that we don't bleed to death. So this cancer at this moment in time has no cure, but there are many things we can do for you. And Okay, you've got to slow down now, Doc. You're bombarding okay. me with a whole list of things. That's true. That's scary. <laughs> and, and fortunately, you've come to the perfect hospitals, Sue. Uh, we have a special program here where you where you put on these headphones and a microphone, 
And we actually have a way that you can communicate with your cancer. And I want you to start having a discussion with your cancer, and I will then be back in a while, and we'll talk about some of the things that are going to happen, and this will explain it all to, to you. So I would like to, at this time, uh, Sue, introduce you to Mr. Multiple Myeloma. So, Sue, I love you. I am happy to be within you. Mm. It's a great place to be. I enjoy it. Uh, 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 yeah, I know I'm warm and I know I'm cuddly, but <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I really, I, I, I would invite you to leave. Actually, <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to leave un, uh, unless you, I'm, I'm forced to. Ah, I see. So now, you're waiting I, for me to be cold and solid in the grave <laughs> before you leave. I no, mean, no, no, no. What I are might, you doing here? I, that that could happen, but I might leave before that. That um, would be nice. If through medical means and methods and procedures, uh, the battle gets too difficult for me, I'll consider leaving. Hmm. However. What's really going to get me out of you is your will to live and your diet and the way you live your life physically. Hmm. And your will to live has to be so strong that I can no longer be around you. Okay. So let's start with the simple things. Okay. My diet. What am I doing wrong? What am I eating wrong? What am I feeding you that you love so much to be in me? I think that it's, it's possible that your diet is fine. Uh, uh, are you, because you're loving it. Right? You, yes, <laughs> That's why yes, you're in me. Yes. Are you a vegetarian? Are you a vegetarian? No. Oh, well, there we go. You need to become a vegetarian. Really? Oh, yes. But so you're enjoying the meat that I'm consuming. Oh, God, yes. Mm. It's okay. uh, helping me be stronger. Mm. All kinds of meat? What about my fish? I love fish. Oh, okay. There's an exception. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, you, you, you can eat fish uh, and, and, be a, and not eat any other kind of animal, and uh, you will be... Uh, fighting me, and I will fight back some way. Mm, okay. <laughs> Hello, Miss Tsunami. It's great to see you again. Uh, it's I have some really good news. The chemotherapy and all of the treatments, including the stem cell procedure, have seemed to work. I know you're going through a lot of uh, side effects from this, but I can honestly say to you at this point right now, I feel like we have... Uh, Mr. Myeloma under control, although you know there is no cure, we're going to be watching you for uh, the rest of your life. And there may be episodes that come about that this will be related to the multiple myeloma or something else. So we're going to have to watch you carefully. So uh, this is good news. We're going to let you out of the hospital tomorrow, but uh, this is going to be your last chance to talk with uh, your cancer at this point, because the technology doesn't allow you to do this other than in the hospital. So I don't know what you want to say to your cancer uh, as you move forward. And congratulations on 
getting through all of the therapy and doing such a great job. Well, thank you, Dr. Ip and Dr. Kimo. <laughs> I'm Dr. Healer. Oh, Dr. Healer now. Oh, 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 man, all these multiple doctors. I, I was going to you. be Dr. Healing, but I didn't think I looked Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> well, son. Yes, mother. I hope you enjoyed your expansive life. And now um, I hope you enjoy your little confined area for a long while. Well, what I'd like you to do uh, after you have had your recovery from the stem cell transplant is I'd like you to go back to eating red meat. Well, you're already doing it. So I'd like you to eat lots of red meat. Uh, don't eat fruit and vegetables. Uh, lots of carbs. Um, and uh, don't do anything that you want to do. Uh, don't, don't try to achieve any goals that you have set for yourself. Surround yourself with negative people. Uh, focus on your own negativity. And uh, never have a positive thought again about anything. Uh, you know, those were the days, my friend. <laughs> Weren't they wonderful? Those were the days, my friend. There we thought go. they'd never end. <laughs> this is the time. <laughs> yes. Yes. There you go. Okay, we're done. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you both for that. That was uh, quite interesting and fun. I, uh, I may try and uh, have other people talk with their cancers periodically. <laughs> so, <laughs> good work, people. Yes, we, we had to be very careful with language. Right. <laughs> uh, cancer's speaking another language. So, Gary, so you yes. went through the chemo, you went through the stem cell. Uh, what was it like actually going through stem cell uh, transplant? It was the worst several weeks of my life, uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, until this past summer when I had a problem with my colon and the whole gastrointestinal area. And I was about to get on a plane for New York, and it was suggested by a surgeon who I had just met that I not get on the plane and that I have a, an immediate operation so he could go in there and see what was going on. Mm. Uh, I had a colonoscopy prior to that, and my there was such blockage in my intestines, they couldn't get the camera in. So he knew it was serious. He found that my colon was perforated leaking and about to explode. Three or four days later, it would have, says he. I would have been in New York City, walking the streets, going to my job, and that would have been it for me. Uh, lucky, lucky timing. Uh, he took away, uh, he cut out nine inches of my colon. The recovery period was eight weeks in hospital and rehab. It was so much worse uh, uh, an experience than the stem cell transplant, which I thought was the worst thing one could go through, that it was like having a tonsillectomy thinking back about the stem cell transplant. Mm. This was horrific, horrific, horrific. Why? What part of it? I uh, hallucinated. Mm. I had times of extreme terror. I thought I was dying. I, uh, just physically, 
I wasn't allowed to consume anything but water for two or three weeks, and the water had to be concerned consumed through a sponge the size of a dice. Mm. Uh, I had intravenous things going into me, of course, in order to live, and I could eat ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a craving for apple juice. I don't like apple juice, but for some reason, I got a craving for apple juice for a long time. And finally, they let me drink some. It was a clear liquid apple juice. And that was better than any beer I've ever had. And I love beer. Mm. Glenn, would he have gone through that because of all the toxins leaking out of his colon? Uh, Part of that, but also Mm. part of the multiple myeloma. Mm. The the myeloma, remember, uh, normally in the bone marrow, the blood cells are produced there, and those blood cells, the white blood cells, as I said before, uh, protect against infection so uh, and the inflammation. And then the platelets protect against bleeding, and the red cells uh, bring oxygen. So when you have less oxygen, that means the cells are weaker. When the right. cells get weaker, they're prone to bacterial infections, and with no white cells and no immune system, They can take over, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and with no platelets, you start bleeding. Uh, So it's just uh, it's a big nightmare. And of course, all of the things like the chemotherapy and the stem cells, you have to protect uh, the immune system. The immune system goes very, very low, and that's why people get weak and sick. Everything else. In fact, Gary, uh, aside from all of these things, you've had you've been hospitalized with things like shingles, which yes. people know are extremely painful. It's and, a- that, and that was a close call, too. That was, uh, I also had, um, uh, there's a term for it, heart thing. Congestive had, heart failure. Yes, congestive heart failure. And I had uh, infection throughout my body. Uh, I, l- let, me, let me just deviate just for a second to go back to a question you asked me about uh, the experience I had this summer with my colon. My body ceased to work. I couldn't move. I had to have nurses turn me in bed from left side to right side and so on. I, I couldn't reach out to, well, I could reach out. My arms worked and that was it. Uh, I started walking. I couldn't walk. I had no strength even to sit up in the bed. I uh, started walking with a walker two or three feet at a time. After the third week, of being hospitalized, and it was after being hospitalized five weeks, actually five, six, seven, about about six or seven weeks, that I finally walked without a walker for about two minutes. I'm still getting my strength back. I'm still uh, learning how to do things. I had to relearn how to walk. How did your how did all of your training in improvisational theater, acting, music? Did you write songs around this time? Did you stop working, or did you push forward? No, I actually uh, produced an album uh, while you while you were sick. W- w- well, no, uh, it, it was. Uh, I'm I'm losing uh, the context of things right now. Uh, I'm forgetting, but uh, before this and. You know what? It was before this. A few months before this, I released my first album of songs that I've written called The Traveler. Mm. And um, 
it's out there. Uh, and um, so in between all of these illnesses, I continue to function. I continue to help people create solo shows. I continue to travel. I continue to entertain myself. I had my own solo shows. I do concerts of my songs. And, and then when there was a sick time, then I, I wouldn't do anything. But I, I don't know why, but I didn't have an urge to write songs uh, during the worst times, especially this last summer. And even before that, I, I, I had a lot of songs that I loved and I loved to sing. But just now, in the last week or two, I started to want to write again. I'm looking forward to it. Nice. Very nice. Gary, we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, this has been a great show about healing and interesting observations and perspectives on how to stay within yourself and to deal with severe problems that could stop many people. But we're trying to give hope and ideas for people when they come down with a cancer or uh, an infection or heart disease, things like that. It's not the end. It's just uh, a part of it. And I want to know if you have a health tip for us or some kind of guidance on how to deal with illness and injury. Uh, take care of yourself physically in terms of diet, et cetera. Uh, drink beer, but not too much. <laughs> uh, and, and seek your joy. Do things that give you joy. At my age, I don't have that much time left to do all the things I always wanted to do someday. Someday is here. I'm, an, I'm doing them now. I have been doing them. But now I'm doing them more and more and more. I feel, regardless of what's actually going on, uh, I feel like I'm more active now, even though uh, I'm not traveling as much and so on. I feel more active now, and I have more incentive to do things than I ever did. And I've done a whole bunch in my life. But now there's a time limit. It took me all these years, I'm 73, it took me all these years to get to the place where I really understand there is an end. I refuse to succumb to the end, and when I go, I'll still be doing. <laughs> that sounds like a country western song, I think. That's his new lyrics. <laughs> right. Right. Gary, in, pre in preparing for this show, uh, is there anything that you wanted to bring out or bring up that we haven't spoken about? Any message to uh, the rest of us, our viewing audience, about healing or about uh, anything that you do? Uh, I, I can give you two things. Uh, one is to seek your own truth. Uh, if the, the, the main thing that I teach when I teach actors, I teach actors to tell the truth. What does that mean? It means whatever is going on in the present moment, acknowledge, be aware of, and be in response to. That's the truth, because that's your truth in that present moment. And the other thing which I learned from, well, I learned that from improvisation, but even more, I learned about agreement. Hmm. Agree, agree, agree. And this doesn't mean you can't have a difference of opinion, because you can still have a 
difference of opinion and find agreement, uh, tell Congress and the president that. Well, actually, I think the president knows that, but Congress, uh, <laughs> that's another topic, but I think we all know what I'm talking about. That's not about agreement. I often thought with the people who are our leaders who I disagree with, I've often thought about improvisational exercises that I could put them through. And my conclusion is they wouldn't cooperate. They would never cooperate. They would resist and walk out of the room. That's a big problem. And that has to do with not agreeing. That has to do with resistance. Mm. <sighs> I'm grateful to our very special guest and my dear friend, Gary Austin, uh, founder of the Groundlings, teacher, songwriter, uh, author, musician. I would like to thank him for sharing his wisdom and experience uh, with us in terms of uh, dealing with life and all of the things that it brings towards us, especially in the realm of medicine and health and healing. I would also like to thank all of my teachers and healers for allowing me to be on my journey. Thank you, Christina and Segovia and all of Yoga Hub for putting on this wonderful platform of learning. And I look forward to getting together with all of you next week as we search another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy. And until next week, Gary, thank you so much. Thank I you wish for you inviting all, me. This has been great. Uh, it's a pleasure. I wish you all optimal health. Thank you, Dr. Glenn Woolman. And of course, thank you so much, Gary Austin. That was uh, good fun. <laughs> you brought a lot of joy. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thank you. And oh, by the way, I enjoyed yeah. improvising with you. Oh, thank you. I'll be here soon one day. <laughs> yeah. Did, 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 did you like me as, uh, as a cancer? Um, you know, I, I'm not big on cancer, but yes, I did. <laughs> that's, that's a mistake a lot of people make. They love their cancer. In in a in a perverted, uh, unconscious way. And I, well, that's why they brought him in. Yes. Right. Yes. So, and I totally agree with you. Joy in life, and I I have a saying: lots of joy, lots of laughter, and it, it, it's better than that apple a day, you know. <laughs> yes, but you should have a banana a day. Oh, that's that's but, excellent too. Potassium. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Totally agree with you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll talk about the vegan diet later, okay? Okay, sure, sure. <laughs> and of course, we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support, and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. If you'd like to connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman, you can do so through his website, glennwoolman.com, where I encourage you to learn about his metaphor square breath. And again, we look forward to your feedback. Please scroll down on your screen, uh, any comments or questions uh, for our guest, Gary Austin, or for Dr. Glenn Woolman, please uh, uh, type it into the comment box and click the submit button. Or you can just give us a call simply by dialing 818-LET'S-TALK, 818-LET'S-TALK. Thank you for joining us again. And until next time, namaste. that they call it a live attenuated virus. So this is the same virus, but instead of the inactivated where they kill the virus, what they do with the live attenuated virus 
is they weaken it with chemicals or with cold or with a number of different methods. So it's still a live virus, but it's so weakened that it won't be able to give you the flu. Now, there are some complications with that, as there are with everything. Sometimes that virus, because it's still alive, has the ability to mutate.